Welcome to the Choice Happens Podcast, where you can choose different, do different, and become the person you say you've always wanted to be. Here's your host, Emily Carpenter. Hey, Peter. Thanks for being here today on the Choice Happens Podcast. Good morning, Emily. It's a pleasure. Yeah. So I'm glad that we got connected here. And I think I've, I don't think we've ever met in person, but we've been Facebook friends for several years, I think. Right. You and I are both in the technology field and communications. Right. And I think that's where we, we hooked up somewhere along down the line. Probably. Yeah. I think one day I just got a friend request from you and you seemed like a positive person. And I said, yes, <laughs> we must've had some groups in common or something. So right. great that we got to meet each other and then lead to this point where we're having this conversation. I love it. Absolutely. Well, you are a friend of a very good friend of mine, Nick Francesco. Oh, yes. Yeah. I got to get him on the show. He's, he's, he's one of my good friends. Yep. Absolutely. Yeah. Nick is a computer guru. Yes. And a local legend here in that area. He's been on a radio show for, I think, maybe 30 years now. I think it's around 30 years. If not, it's in that, in that arena. And then he's, uh, just has a wealth of knowledge and great guy, fun and yeah, wonderful. Yeah. So tell me, Peter. Um, do you want me to call you Peter or Pete? Call me Pete. That's fine. Pete. All right. So Pete, tell me a little bit about what your life is. You know, like who you are and the what choice means to you, because that's what the show is about: is right. living our life the best we can and being on purpose about living. So I want to hear how you've done that. Let me give you the basics first. 49, I'm married. I live in Henrietta with my wife and my two dogs. And I think that the the idea of positive choices was set up for me by my parents when I was born. Hmm. I have a physical disability. I use a power wheelchair. My official term for the disability is by ladder congenital bilateral amputee and I have both legs were removed in 1972 in order to allow me to use artificial legs and then I have one finger on each hand. So that was when you were two years old you had both legs removed? Four years old. Four. Four. Okay four years old. Wow. Yeah and my parents when I was born had the option to walk away. They truly did. However, after 24 hours, my mother made the decision that I want my baby. I'm going to feed my baby boy. Mm. And that was, there was no going back. And, you know, here I am 49 years later. So you shared with me some of the things that the doctors and the medical professionals, what type of conversation did your parents have with them that you know, what was the, what, what were the things that they were thinking about when they made that choice? Cause you know, thankfully not everybody has, you know, you, you, you want this healthy, beautiful baby and you want this, you know, this great um, experience. And, and we have this idea of what it is like on the day that someone is born. Right. And it's different for in every situation. So, you know, what was that, what was that for your parents? What did they, um, what were they thinking about? What was it the, because 
we don't think about that. Like we, you said they have a, they had a choice to keep you or not keep you. I, I can't even fathom, you know, fathom that honestly. Right. Well, I think it was the doctors that said you can either leave him here. They thought I may have mental issues. They used the term retardation, which of mm. course not a good term to use nowadays, but you know, that's what they said. Right. They didn't know what I would be able to do cognitively or functionally. Right. And I think that as a as a community, as a world, we need to stop thinking that any child born without 10 fingers and 10 toes can't be the perfect child that you want. Right. Has it been easy? No, not always. There have definitely been challenges in my life. But my parents had the resources and the ability to take care of me and guide me in the right direction, both physically, med- medically, and just, you know, just general guidance at all. Mm. And I am tremendously grateful for the strength that my parents had. Yeah, that's amazing. That's a, you know, that's a, a start that came with love. Yes. You know, that your parents loved you and they, your mom said, I don't care. You know, you're not taking my baby. My baby is mine and I want to feed him and love him and take care of him. And what a, what a, an amazing start. No, thank you. Thank you. And I take that as a tribute to my mom. She just passed in April, 2017. Oh, I'm sorry. Yeah. Sounds like she was a really positive force in your life. And a, and a force of power. Oh, wow. Yeah. So fierce. She was fierce. <laughs> oh, very much so. That's actually when I wrote her obituary. I'm sorry, not the obituary, but the, uh, the eulogy that I delivered. Mm-hmm. I used that word because there was just so much power in her being. Wow. So you had that amazing start. And then what happened next? Well, there's a story of when I went to kindergarten with Wanda Ward at the Pittsburgh schools. And um, Wanda reminds me every time I talk to her, she came to my wedding and everything. And we talk about this all the time. And yeah. We, my parents brought me into the room. And as they put it, you know, they just, they wanted me in a mainstream public classroom. They just had to make sure the fit would be right. Right. Well, they went off to have a meeting with her and talk to her. And when they came back, I had the whole class sitting in a circle around me and I was reading the book. It's <laughs> awesome. And uh, it's, it's a, as they say, a sign of what was to be. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So they were worried about you not fitting in and here you are leading a group already, right? <laughs> right. And I haven't shut up since. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, back in those, in those days, you know, 40 plus or 40 some years ago, it was not always mainstream to mainstream kids, right? That's the, yeah. am I using the right terminology? I mean, there was a lot of separation back then for anybody that was um, any differently abled person, I would say. And now I think mainstream needs to be a requirement. It is a law. But I think it's just ethically, you know, 
not only exposure to the person with a disability to say that, hey, you can do anything anyone wants you to do or need or anything you want to do. You just have to find a way to do it. Right. But also for the other kids who are like, wow, he's different, <laughs> but he's doing this. Yeah. You know, I, th- I think it's huge. I think and mainstream is just so necessary. Mainstream. I agree. Yeah, it gives everybody a chance to see what's possible and to find a way to bring each other up and help each other. Exactly. Exactly. Things don't always happen the same way for me or in the same speed. However, I can pretty much find a way to do what I need to do. Mm. So you've mentioned, you said there were some challenges. What were those challenges or what have they been or what are they? Well, you know, my parents financially had the ability to give me, you know, my power wheelchairs, help me in my first vehicle, make all the modifications that we had to make either to the house or coordinate with the school. Um, My mom very quickly got on the boards of the Pittsburgh district that had to do with the, uh, with the, with disabilities. Mm. And she was very quick involved with all of that. And um, when we started the, the Pittsburgh schools, there were no ramps at the Barker Road Elementary School, which I believe is now the Pitts called the Pittsburgh Elementary School. There was no ramps anywhere. Well, when I got, they wow. came up very quickly. <laughs> yeah, because your mother is fierce, right? She was she was fierce, a, a force to be reckoned with. <laughs> she said this was needed, and you're gonna do it. Yeah, but she showed why it wasn't just a demand. It was here's what's going to be the benefit, mm. and that you know that's the important thing that she was able to show, not only for me but kids down the line, you know, students down the line, how it was going to help them. I was just thinking about, I was just at my son's school yesterday and there's a ramp for sure to get into the school. That could have been a result of your mother, a different district, but still, I I bet they didn't have them back when your mom was requesting ramps. That that ramp probably did not exist. No, no. I I can think at the, I always went in the first door at my school because that's where everything was at all my classrooms and everything, but that one you know, eventually it led to more ramps around the whole school that I remember. Mm. Wow. So it was a start. And, uh, you know, again, mm-hmm. it's all part of that choice that my parents made. Mm. Yeah, they, w- they were all in. They were ready to find ways where there weren't ways yet. Absolutely. Absolutely. You know, I have three older brothers and none of them have any kind of visual disability issue, mm-hmm. but they didn't treat me any different. <laughs> you know, my brothers used to, my one brother used to do as he called it space research on me where he put me in a closet and the, and the, we used to have a laundry hamper from the upstairs and he had put me in the hamper and then pour water down the top of it. Oh my. Because he is a big brother and he had to do that. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, big brothers do some crazy stuff, I think. Or what they did, one thing I think you'll like is that when I was probably six, my brothers 
set me up in every piece of sports gear they could find. Football helmets, shoulder pads, hockey pads. And it was in the dead of winter when we used to have those old 10 to, you know, 10 foot drifts. Mm. And they went and they threw me up the back roof of the house into a snow drift. Oh my. <laughs> I wanted to fly. Oh. <laughs> I said, okay, we'll make you fly. And um, it's funny because I disappeared into the snow drift. We used to have a sand, a little sand pit in the back of our, in the backyard of our house. And my brothers threw me into it. Well, the problem was they didn't expect me to go all the way down to the bottom. Oh. And I was, I was like, oh boy, we can't see him. Mom's going to kill us. <laughs> so they found me and pulled me out. Yeah. Wow. I flew. You flew <laughs> for that instant. Yeah. <laughs> wow. They, they never treated me any different. That's awesome. Which again, yeah, cause you're just their brother. Yes. I was the baby brother and I was there to be uh, abused as much as any other baby brother. <laughs> yeah. From there, it's, you know, middle school, generally, you know, into high school. One of the choices, again, that my parents made in helping me along with the school district is that when we got to Mendes Center Junior High, the cafeteria was in the basement. Hmm. And there was no elevator at that point. So what they had to do was buy a secondary wheelchair, a secondary power chair, put it down at the bottom of the steps where we would be going. And then what I would do is for lunch, I'd go get out of whatever I was in a little bit early beforehand, get my way down the steps, jump in the other chair, and then I would be able to eat. And then I would come back up afterwards. Wow. You know, that's quite the reasonable accommodation. Uh, uh, yeah, I, I guess it's, it's an accommodation, right? <laughs> yeah. I mean, it wasn't a right. cheap, but it worked. Yeah, it worked. Yeah, you know, for a number of years. So I went to Menden High, and Menden High had an elevator. And uh, I think in high school is when I really came into my own. Mm. And I made the choice that I needed to save the world. And I decided that my was on psychology, which ended up going into social work. Mm-hmm. And um, you know, I ended up going to North Carolina and Guilford College. Had a blast. Unfortunately, I wasn't quite ready for the environment without the supervision I had growing up. Mm. And kind of went crazy a little bit. <laughs> um, ended up I, I failed out of North Carolina, um, got suspended, went back, failed out. But I think that was all my part of what I needed to do to learn what, you know, what you need to do when you grow up. Right. And um, came back and went to RIT and got my degree in social work. And um, it was an amazing experience because with RIT, I made the choice there to get really involved in the environment. And again, the, the, you know, how to make things better for the disability population. Hmm. And I, the automatic doors that you have in the schools, I'm, I'm sorry, on the buildings, RIT, yeah. are something that I worked on. That oh, was, wow. That was one of my projects. And I was, you know, thrilled 
to see that they they eventually got put on all the buildings and uh you know everything was made real much that much more accessible that's awesome yep you know it's it's all part of a process you just got to decide where you fit in and what you're going to do to leave a mark or be involved so you went in, you got a degree in social work and then what did you do with with that um how how did you apply that i worked it after school I did, I did a stint of working at Huther Doyle, Discovery Huther Doyle. And I was doing uh, out, outpatient treatment group work, uh, groups mm. of work. So and, Huther Doyle is, uh, they're like a rehab right. facility for people with um, chemical dependency, is that? Absolutely, yes. Okay. Yeah. And um, they're down in, they were, well, at least at that point, they were down in East Avenue. And... Mm-hmm. Um, that that was around 1990 and unfortunately that didn't work out because my i I couldn't i couldn't maintain control of the group i had trouble with boundaries in that respect Hmm. and um the kids the 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 clients were mostly were were youth they were uh, teenagers young adults yeah and younger they were just i was letting them walk all over me Mm. and i don't know if it's just because i wanted to feel like they liked me or what but i just i ended up resigning and uh left social work and always knew i had some kind of tech ability in my head because i've always been into computers always yeah and I went to Manpower, got a advanced accelerated certification, stating that I knew what I thought I knew, <laughs> and went to Sutherland Group and worked there for three years, and then went to Frontier, and I've been there for starting my 19th year this year. Wow, 19 years anywhere today is so rare. <laughs> and I, I'm that yeah. major pride point for me because I love my work. So you do, you're doing some sort of tech support. What is it that you're doing in the technology field now? I do internet tech support. Basically, things break mm-hmm. and people call in and I fix them or point them in the right direction. Nice. And I also do sales on the side where I can offer extra support for either cleaning up a machine that's already infected or protecting the machine, cell phone laptop, desktop, against any future infections. Right. So, you know, I, again, that's another choice is that I have the ability to earn more by doing different things above my salary. So that's like a side gig or like an additional, is it like overtime for you or you're just, how are, is it the same company or are you doing a different working for somebody else to do similar? Same company. Is part of my, sales. Part of yeah. Yeah, it's commission. Oh, okay, great. So I am a salary for what I do, and then, hey, you need this? Let me help set this up, and I'll get a commission out of it. Right. Yeah. And I've done some extra. I, for a while, for a while, I did leave the basic tech support, and I went over to our escalations group um, back in late 2016, and was basically handling executive level escalations where. Things would come down from the 
um, CEO president's office where this customer needed, you know, more attention and extended work. And I would focus on them. I would have cases that I would work on and I would take care of them. Hmm. No matter what they do, they simply got fixed. Nice. And I like that. I enjoyed that because it was nice to hear from other departments say, hey, you know, no, you know, this was an issue that had been going on so long and it's such a unique issue and you were able to go ahead and resolve it. That's great. Yeah, that's a good feeling when you can figure out the puzzle and especially when no one else could figure it out. I love that feeling. Especially <laughs> when it's an extended issue that just takes a lot of work. Mm-hmm. Right. Uh, then uh, yeah. you know, around the time my mother passed, I was having focus issues. So I went back to dealing with one customer at a time, which is what I'm, where I'm still at and pretty much just kind of in that position to stay until I decide to doing something else mm-hmm. or retire or retire. Right. So tell me, um, what other things do you want to share? I mean, I, I know every time I see you post anything, it's on Facebook, I see a lot of positivity and just a really, you know, positive outlook on life and what you're seeing around you and what you're experiencing. Is there anything you want to share with people about how you, how you maintain that or how you acquired that? Well, I think maintaining it needs to be um, just realizing that, and this is something that I struggled with for a while, is you can't change everything. You, you just can't control everything around you. Um, you have to come mm-hmm. to the point where you realize that there are only certain things that you have control over. And the ability to influence and make change. Now, if you get something that you make positive change, you got to take it and you got to run with it. Um, mm-hmm. At the same time, if there's something that you're beating your head against a wall trying to make a change on, and it's something that it's a wall, it's a brick wall, it's not going anywhere, maybe it's time to choose another battle. Right. Um, one thing for me that was a major impact on me was I watched a friend pass away from cancer nine years ago, um, a colleague. Mm. And he had kidney cancer. And uh, he had been one of the original people who started work on the same day as I did. And Mm. just very close to him and his family. And we, I, I joined him in the hospital and we went into hospice. And I watched the experience. Mm. Now, I wasn't there when he passed, but I was there up until the day before. And it, it's just something that touches you very deeply. Yeah. And that was the source of a major choice for me because this was something I could help. Because mm. we're talking cancer research. So I got involved. At that point, one of my managers was very involved in the American Cancer Society Relay for Life, which is their annual fundraiser. And what it does is, yeah, it was fun. It was just started by a gentleman named Gordon Clatt many years ago. And what it was was he ran around a track and people donated money and he kept running for 24 hours. And mm. then at that point, he gave that money to the Cancer Society for research treatment, um, 
helping people get rights to treatment, places to stay for family. And uh, I did that for eight years. And once a year, either it'd be Webster, Henrietta, MCC, there'd be a track and there'd be bands, there'd be food, raffles, prizes. And, you know, I have a bunch of friends who, a group that grew with me throughout it and we've gone to different relays and I stopped to work with Relay after this past year, but I had raised in eight years $17,000. Wow, $17,000. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, I Impressive. had a blast. We had a lot of fun doing it. I met phenomenal people. And, uh, hmm. you know, it, it, these are the relationships you make that still last. You know, I sure. still talk to people. I'm not involved in Relay anymore. I decided to make a change to honor my mother. And I'm going to be getting involved with one of two organizations. I, I'm not sure exactly which yet, but the first one will be the Alzheimer's Association. Um, they do a mm-hmm. walk every year, but it's not a 24-hour walk. <laughs> I don't think I can do those anymore. That sounds better to me anyway. 24-hour walk sounds well, <laughs> undoable for me. <laughs> 12 to 24 hours. Um, but down over yeah. time. But the one for the Alzheimer's group is a program that it's a three-hour walk, I believe, or a three-mile walk from Frontier Field around the streets mm-hmm. down around the stadium. And... I was invited to that. Um, a friend from high school got involved with, in, in, with a friend that she knew where a woman had gotten early onset Alzheimer's. And she went, unfortunately, she went downhill fairly quickly. And the family was part of that. And the name of the team is Hugs for Mom. Mm. It resonates with me. It hits it sensitive spot with me. Yeah. Well, I think that's great that you're that you're rethinking where you want to put your energy because we only have so many hours yeah. in a day, and you've done so much for the American Cancer Society, yeah. American Cancer Society, already seventeen thousand dollars that you've raised. That you know that it was a great it is a great cause, and you did you did a lot for it, and you can also make a different choice to help somewhere else if that's what you right. want to do. If the energy is feeling like you want to shift it, you can make that choice. You don't have to stay with something forever because it was, you know, a lot of times people's ego gets wrapped up in that. You know, I, I've raised this much money and if I keep going, then my number will get bigger, you know, instead of starting all over again with something that feels right, they might continue to do the thing that their ego is stuck in. So I think it's great that you've, that you're reconsidering and thinking about where you want to spend your time and your energy. I'm not going to say that my ego didn't have anything to do with the eight years. I can't say that because I watched <laughs> the number go up. I'm not. Well, you're because you're human. Yeah. But I, I just decided that, you know, it was time to make a change. It just, you know, it was, it was becoming the same old, same old routine every year. Right. And, Right now, I'm going to do something entirely different. If I don't do that, 
for whatever reason. Um, the other plan is to go ahead and help a group called Recovery Fitness, which is a fitness group that focuses on people who have had substance abuse issues. Again, going back mm. to my roots of my social work training. Right. You know, unrelated to my mom's situation, but still, it, you know, helps someone else who, uh, who's trying to make their life better by, you know, adding fitness to it where they probably weren't doing a lot of workouts before. Yeah, we have a similar, we've had, we've, you know, have a couple of things that are similar in, in our path. And one that I see is I went to school for sociology, then I had a concentration in social work and a minor in psychology. And I, I did my internship with child protective services and I worked in human services for a few years after college. And I realized that I didn't really want to be in the human services field. I just wanted the feeling I yeah. got from that. So I went on to more technology. I kind of stepped, you know, stepped my way to where I am today building websites, but I started off, you know, as an editor and doing different, different steps along the way and figured out I wanted to do the things where I was helping people in a different way that wasn't tied to my income. So when I, when I started getting paid for it, it became more of like, I, 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 I could see myself burning out too quickly and I didn't want to get to that level where I felt that I didn't want to go to work every day. So I walked away from that slowly okay. to get to the point where I'm okay. at today. And I can see like, even with this podcast and things, it's, this is another way of bringing that part of me into the world, but it's not tied to anything except I want to give some, you know, that, what I've learned to other people. Yeah, that's, I, 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 yeah, that's saying it perfectly. That's right along the lines of what I felt of how I feel. Mm. And then love what I do. Yeah. You know, I love my work, love the people I work with. Um, but I love the fact that I can try to help someone else and make their lives better at the same time. So Peter, is there any, Pete, <laughs> so Pete, is there anything else that you'd like to share with listeners and maybe some inspiration of what we can walk away with after this conversation, something we can go do or think about? Well, I encourage people to find something they're passionate in, you know, even if it's a one thing outside of your day-to-day -day work that will help someone else and just run with it. One of the questions that you had on your on the prep sheet that we talked about was, and that I wanted to hit on, is a book that you read that made it that that you know hits a chord in you. Yeah. And one of the books that I read that started early for me, it's called "Strong in the Broken Places." Strong in the broken places. Right. And it is from a gentleman named Max Cleland, C-L-E-L-A-N-D. Mm. He is a former, I believe, senator, if not representative, maybe both. And um, he had a very similar disability to mine. He had nothing below the legs. I think mm. he lost his in wartime. Mm-hmm. But he, you know, again, he had things that get a situation where he was considered broken and he turned it around 
And, you know, they, they always say anytime you, bro- you break a limb, it's always stronger at the place that it broke. Hmm. After it- And that's true with a lot of things. I mean, you know, relationships, um, work, personal, you know, you, you have an issue, you do what you need, you know, assuming that it is one that can, is, is in a position to be repaired. We know not every relationship is. Right. Um, but if you have one that is, take the time to work on it. And if you can do it, you're probably going to come back stronger than you were before. That's very true. Yeah. And that's a, that's all often a place that you've mentioned a couple of instances already of when you have a, an experience that seemingly breaks you and you can heal from that. And then once you've healed, you can show other people how to heal in a similar way. Right, right. So that everyone is stronger together. Right. You know, and I encourage you, you know, know, take the time to make positive choices in your medical situation. I mean, I was having a lot of, over the past few years, a lot of pain in my shoulders or hips. And I made the choice recently within the past few weeks to try something called CBD treatment. Mm. And, you know, I, I don't take lightly the medical stuff. I don't like to make changes medically. Um, you know, as always, I was raised in a medical family. My dad was a, my dad is a retired physician and my mom was a, uh, a nurse, mm. you know, and you got to follow the line and, you know, work with doctors and do everything. And, you know, after taking one to two Tylenol a night just to sleep, I said, no, something's got to change. You know, we got to make, there's got to be a difference, different mm-hmm. way. And, uh, you know, I made that cho- choice with my wife and started a CBD treatment two weeks ago, and I feel wonderful. That's great. Does it work for everyone? No, people are different. But again, it's, you know, I'm 49 years old. I am still relatively young. And I still got a long way to go. And uh, I'm going to do everything I can to, to keep going. I also have a lot, of, a lot of people, one of my, well, let me tell you a story that my cardiologist, when I first saw him a while back, this one I, I go with now, he, he made an offhand statement that, oh, you probably can't work out. You probably can't exercise. And I said, oh, no, 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 wait a minute. <laughs> no, 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 no. And I actually, right before I had started seeing him, a friend of mine had got me a basketball wheelchair with the wheels where the, where the, the main wheels are tilted in to give you balance. Mm. Mm-hmm. So you can't sit over as well. And it is now my street racing chair, where what I do is I, on days of good weather, which I yearn for in May or sooner, <laughs> <laughs> um, we, uh, I strap up my arms, I lace up my arms with coverings and wraps, and I go do one or two miles. Awesome. And I'm alone. I, I'm buried in my own thoughts. And it is some of the best experiences I've had when I'm just out there on the street, you know, whether it's Calkins Road or a neighborhood around me. And uh, I'm just flying along. And it's just, I come back and I'm absolutely exhausted, but I'm just, 
happy as can be. That's awesome. I mean, I, I have so many excuses why I don't want to exercise every day. <laughs> you know, there's, you know, it's and a doctor told you you probably can't exercise. Yeah, you're talking to the wrong guy, <laughs> right? Let's turn it around and motivate me to do even more. Exactly. I love it. All right, Peter, thank you for being on the podcast today. So great having this conversation with you. And I look forward to talking to you again. Absolutely. We'll have to make it at once sometime. Sounds great. Thanks, Pete. Thanks very much for your time, Emily. It's been a pleasure. Thanks for listening to the Choice Happens podcast. For more inspiration, go to choicehappens.com. Until next time, think, choose, do, be awesome.